happy Easter. Jesus is alive, if you didn't know that today. And uh, that's why we gather in here, and that's why we get to celebrate. Um, I'm so excited you chose to worship with us this morning. I'll let you know it's been a good day. Um, we had a pancake breakfast this morning, which is awesome. So we got to chow down on some pancakes and some bacon, which was wonderful. Uh, we got to broadcast the gospel on 93.3 over the radio today, thanks to our friend Michael, which was wonderful as well. And uh, I just got to peek my head back in our kids' ministry, and they were rocking and singing, and it was mass chaos, slightly controlled chaos. So uh, when you go and pick your kid up in about 25, 30 minutes from now, I highly encourage you, give a kid's worker a fist bump, make sure you tell them thank you, uh, because while we have the honor of being in this room and worshiping and studying God's word together, um, they're selflessly and sacrificially serving our children this morning, and so we need to show honor where honor is deserved. Um, if you'll turn with me to Luke 24 today, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be this morning as we look at the resurrection of Jesus, and uh, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Luke 24, we're going to read the first eight verses, and they'll be on our screen as well if you'd like to follow along. And God's Word says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and they bowed to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Verse 6, greatest verse in all of the Bible. Verse 6, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Verse 8, and they remembered Jesus' words. i, I got to say this real quick. Um, last year at Easter, I had to preach to a camera, and this year there's a lot of people in the room. So this is about to get like your grandma's Pentecostal church that you grew up in. <laughs> I am so stoked right now, I can barely see straight, so let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word for this day. God, the gathering of, of your people. Lord, we celebrate today. Without the resurrection, we are hopeless, but because of the resurrection, we are a hopeful people. A secure and fixed living hope in heaven found in Jesus. God, would you take the familiar and make it fresh today? Lord, would you take the story of the resurrection and Lord, let it not just be something that hits our ears, but something that implants itself in our hearts this morning. God, may we hear very clearly from you today and live out the truth and the power that's found in the resurrection of Jesus the rest of our week. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was thinking this past week, and I typically think pretty similarly to this around every Easter, but it's this idea of how each Easter, if we're not careful, we can really have some very skewed understandings of who Jesus is. Not only at Easter time, but really throughout our year, we can come up with our own ideas of who Jesus is, maybe based on past experience, maybe based on things that we've been taught with churches that we were a part of, at very different ways that we come up with these ideas of who Jesus is or who we want Jesus to actually be for us, in us, through us. We can come up with all these different ideas, and I like to call those the caricatures of Jesus. And what I want us to do today, and we should do this every Sunday, do this every Easter, is make sure that the Jesus that we worship is the Jesus of the Bible. 
That we don't just come up with these ideas of who we want Jesus to be, not a Jesus based on our expectations, not a Jesus based on maybe things that we've been taught incorrectly in the past, not a Jesus based on who we simply want him to be. But no, I want to make sure we see the Jesus of the Bible this morning. Because what I've learned is through the years is when I place my own expectations of who I want Jesus to be or maybe how I perceive him to be, when I actually go and approach and seek out the Jesus of the Bible, Jesus shatters my expectations of who he is every single time. And I am always thankful for it. Today, I want us to look at this familiar Easter story and take a dive into what is an expectation shattering moment for a group of women. These women who had an expectation of what Jesus would do, who he would be, but Jesus shatters their expectation. This moment that we're looking at, and you've probably heard statements like this before, this is the greatest miracle ever done by Jesus. This moment that we're looking is the greatest moment in all of human history. This is the hinge point of all things human, the resurrection of Jesus right here in the Gospels. This moment is so significant for us. I don't know if you've ever considered this. The resurrection of Jesus is the very moment that splits the Western calendar into two parts. You ever thought about that? B.C. and A.D. are pivot and hinged on the resurrection of Christ. It's this moment that defines everything before it and everything after it. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, the resurrection is the most important moment in all of human history. And that's why we gather and we celebrate not only today, here's some news for you, we do this every week. Because Jesus is alive. He was alive last week, he's going to be alive next week, he'll be alive next month. This Christmas he's still going to be alive, 10 years from now he's still going to be alive. 100,000 million billion years, that's not even a number. And he'll be alive then. That's why we celebrate, because he is risen. Now, if you were with us last week, let me catch you up. We started last week what's known as Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week in Christian tradition. And on Palm Sunday, we saw Jesus coming that final entry into Jerusalem where he was being ushered in as the king and savior that the world had, waiting, had been waiting on. But now seven days later, a lot has transpired in Jesus's ministry to get us here to Luke 24. And so let me catch us up as to kind of what, what's happened here, a really 30,000-foot view, if you're unfamiliar with this story. So up to this point, the previous three years to Luke 24, Jesus has been walking among the common man, right? So that God came down to earth in the form of a baby, grew up for 30 years, spent the last three years of his earthly life uh, walking and talking and teaching and being among men. What Jesus was doing through his earthly ministry was showing people a glimpse of heaven on earth. In the midst of all of these miracles he was performing, Jesus would also give this message of hope that the kingdom of God had come and God had come back to rescue his people. God was a promise keeper and he was going to come back and do exactly what he said. Jesus' ministry was interesting though because he really upset the religious establishment of the day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. You see what Jesus was doing was claiming to be God, which he was. But for the religious establishment, they said, no, 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 that's blasphemy. There is only one God. Then Jesus was upsetting the political establishment. People were referring to him as the king of kings, the king of the Jews. But in their mind, there was one king. That was Caesar. Therefore, Jesus was guilty of treason. Ultimately, Jesus entered the world as a savior. But what we see at the crucifixion on Good Friday two days ago is he was marked as a criminal. On that Friday, he was falsely accused of crimes he did not commit, treason and blasphemy. He was unlawfully beaten as an animal. 
ultimately to be placed on a Roman cross between two criminals. He was not in the right company at that time. But it was a public sign to the Romans and to the Jews that nobody turns against the Roman government. The Bible says as Jesus hung there on that cross, he cried out for the forgiveness of his accusers. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What was he doing in that moment? Jesus was absorbing the sin debt that you and I owed to a holy God. And in one of the greatest acts of love and grace in all of the scriptures, as Jesus hung on that cross, he cried out three words. It is finished. And the wrath of God was appeased on your behalf and my behalf. And friends, this is so key. On Good Friday, Jesus died. I'll say it again. Jesus died. He didn't pass out. None of that. Jesus died. Because God is so holy and God cannot look upon sin, the Son of God had to die for my sake and for your sake. Each Easter, I I try to read through the the Easter story, a lot of times in the Gospel of Mark. And I always wonder what that moment would have been like, specifically for the disciples. Can you imagine having followed Jesus for that three years? You'd seen him feed 5,000. You'd seen him walk on water. You'd seen him calm the storms. You'd seen him heal the paralytic. You'd seen him restore sight. You'd seen him do all of those things. Yet on Good Friday, the one that you had staked your entire hope in died. The one who you'd seen do the miraculous died. The one who promised that he was going to make things different for everyone was now dead, lying lifeless in a tomb. What would happen now to this movement that Jesus started? This movement that we're still benefiting now from 2,000 years later. I want to show you two two points today. If you like to take notes, you can write these down. We're going to talk about expectations and realities. So let's look at the expectations of these, these women. They've seen Jesus die. They watched his body placed in that tomb. And now it's Easter morning. And look at what happens. Look again at verse 1 of Luke 24, expectations. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, that's these women, came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. So this moment in history, this historical account, starts with a group of women who were part of Jesus' following during that three years. On the first day of the week, this would have been a Sunday, they were returning back to the tomb where Jesus was buried because they needed to finish embalming his body. It's not like in our culture where embalming typically happens in a one or two day period. For their culture, it happened over a several day period as they would put different spices, oils, and different things on those bodies. We read in Luke chapter 23, verse 49, one chapter back, that these women, like I said, they had seen Jesus on that cross. They were witnesses to his death and his crucifixion. They had watched him die. They stood at a distance, and they saw everything happen. Luke 23, verse 55, says that they saw his body placed inside of that tomb. They were not secondhand recipients of this information. They were firsthand. They had seen everything happen. Matthew 27, verse 60 said that they would have been witnesses to the stone being rolled in front of that tomb and being sealed with a Roman seal. That stone, friends, if you're unaware of this, was meant to be a permanent seal. You put that stone in front of that tomb and put a Roman signet on it so that everybody knew, you don't touch this thing, that stone was not supposed to move. It's interesting to me, during this time, it was actually more common. If a criminal was crucified in front of the whole nation... Typically, what they would do with that criminal is they would take it from the cross and they would just take that body and they would throw it in the city dump where it would be burned. 
If they didn't do that, if it was a really bad criminal, they would leave the body on the cross, and I don't mean to get gruesome this morning, but they would leave it there until the birds and the animals had picked it apart. And once there was basically nothing left, then they would finally remove that body. Yet Jesus' story was different. If you remember, there was a man named Joseph who let Jesus borrow, <laughs> that's our key word today, borrow his tomb. And Jesus' lifeless, lifeless body was requested and placed in a borrowed tomb. This was uncommon for the day. But I'm also reminded of the irony behind this. Think about this for a second. You see, the Romans were well aware of the claims of Jesus and his resurrection. You have this Jewish rabbi doing these miracles who's claiming that after a few days he's going to come back from the dead. The Romans were like, this guy's crazy. Who, that's not going to happen. You're a nutcase. Go back home, eat some soup, and chill out, right? Watch Netflix. What's wrong with you? Kind of a thing. But here's the irony behind it. Matthew chapter 27, verse 66. I alluded to this just a second ago. Um, they still had a giant stone placed in front of the tomb. Why? He's dead. Not only that, but they put the Roman signet on it. Why? He's dead. Not only that, but the Bible says that they placed Roman guards in front of that tomb. Why? He's dead. Not only that, but for a Roman guard to abandon their post or not come through with the orders that they were given to not let anybody get rid of the body, why were they concerned? He was dead. Interesting to me. So in Luke chapter 24, verse 1, the women are on their way to that situation. Lifeless body in a sealed tomb. Jesus' body partially prepared, returning to fill the process. Because what was their expectation? That's our word. They expected to find a dead Jesus. Hey, here's a thought for us. You know you don't bring embalming spices unless you expect to find a dead body. They didn't expect to find a resurrected Jesus, even though he told, him, told them that that was going to happen. Their expectation was, we are going to go to that tomb and find two guards who will stand there, and if we need to get inside to finish the embalming process, there's still going to be a body laying inside of that grave. That's what they expected. But what does Jesus do when we bring our expectations to him? He shatters them every time. Look at verse 2. They found the stone rolled away. Friends, place ourselves in this moment. Can you imagine these women heading to the tomb? So many questions running through their mind as they look off in the distance, and that stone is not where it's supposed to be. Those guards are not where they're supposed to be. Where is he? What happened to him? Where's the body? John chapter 20 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible because the Bible actually says that Mary Magdalene, as she approached the tomb, she went and she saw that the stone was rolled away, and she just flat took off. The Bible says Mary Magdalene was like, oh my gosh, and she just ran. She just ran the opposite direction. She went to find Peter and James and let them know something happened to Jesus. Now, she, Peter, yeah, she went to find Peter and John. So the question we have to ask is, how did the stone get moved? That's a massive boulder with two Roman guards sealed by the Romans. What happened? Y'all, this is good stuff. If this doesn't get you excited on Easter Sunday, something's wrong with you. Matthew 28, verse 2. This is the best. Look at this. There was a violent earthquake. That's enough right there. Watch this. Because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. I love this because God could have just sat on his throne and said, hey, rock, move. But he didn't. God made a little bit of a show for us. I love this. This is so good. What did the angel do? He rolled back the stone and he was sitting on it. So on that day, what happens? The, it's Sunday morning. It's Easter Sunday. The stone's still there. An angel descends from heaven, approaches the tomb. If you read further on in Matthew 28, the angel is described as being like lightning with clothing as white as snow. 
like some serious OxyClean going on here. I don't even know. Like, I've never even met somebody where, like, you know, you're at a store and your wife's like, hey, did you meet so-and-so? Yeah, they look like lightning. You know, I don't even know what that means. Can you imagine this moment here? And what does the angel do? Walks up to the tomb and a violent earthquake occurs. I said this last year, but I, can, I actually wrote this in my Bible. This is how I, I think. Like, to me, I just picture, like, the rock walking into the WWE Royal Rumble <laughs> with the strobe lights going off and the fog's going and the ground's shaking because the crowds are going nuts. I just picture the angels in heaven like, yes, yes. And he just says, this angel just comes and he's just so pumped. And the angel's like, get out of the way, rock. And Jesus, just, you all choose to go to church here, okay? That's just... <laughs> Matthew 28, verse 4, says that when the angel approached like that, that the guards were shaken with fear. You think? <laughs> says that they hit the ground like dead men, flat, unresponsive, totally gone. The angel, Matthew 28, verse 2, so casually, what's he do? Rolls away the stone. And then what? Casually hops up. This is, I love the Bible. The angel hops up and sits on it. He sits on it. Why do people sit? You ready? Because the work is done. The angel sat down because the work was finished. Jesus secured the victory. It was done. Look at this, verse 3. So they went in. These are those ladies. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. I love those first three words. They went in. Don't miss that. The angel didn't move the stone so Jesus could get out. I'm going to go ahead and promise you. He didn't need the help. He could have done it on his own. The angel didn't move the stone so Jesus could get out. The angel moved the stone so we could see in. To know that our Jesus kept his promise. To know that death has no power over him. Therefore, death has no power over me or you. Because Jesus secured the victory. They went in expecting to find a body in a tomb, but all they found was an empty grave and a promise kept. Jesus shattered their expectation. Point number two, reality. Look at verse 24, or Luke 24, verse 4. I, I, I love the way Luke writes this because you can see Luke's personality coming out in this. Look at the first part of verse 4. While they were perplexed about this. Yeah, you think? No, Luke, really? Obviously, they expect to find a body. Instead, they find an angel. They expect to find a sealed tomb. Instead, they find two dead Roman guards laying on the ground. Yeah, they're perplexed. They're confused. And they look in, and what do they see? All they see is the grave clothing that Jesus was in. Verse 4b and 5. So suddenly two men stood by them. That's those angels in the dazzling clothes, those clothings that was like lightning. So the women were terrified, and they bowed to the ground. So now this angel has another friend that has showed up. And as the women approach, what do they do? They bow. Why? Because in Jewish culture, the Jews respected and revered angels. Side note, the word terrified that we translate there is where we get our word phobia. If you have a phobia of something, what do you do? You tremble in fear. You just cower and you, you, you shrink back. For me, that's spiders. You know, you, you're just, you're terrified. That's what they do. They see the angels and they're just like, and they shrink down and they hit the ground. Now, what do the angels say to these ladies? Again, you can see Luke's tone here. And P.S., the angels are sarcastic. So if you don't like sarcasm, heaven's going to be boring for you. All right? Watch this. What do the angels say? Verse 5, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's sarcasm. The angels are like, oh, what y'all doing here? <laughs> y'all remember what he said? 
This is where dead people hang out. If you didn't know, tombs, it's typically what you find here. If you find living people among tombs, they're weird. Stay away from them. Um, but this is where dead people are. And, and the Jesus that you came looking for, he's actually alive. Tombs are for dead people, and Jesus isn't dead. Death can't beat our Jesus. In the greatest verse in all the Bible, verse 6, he is not here, he is risen. He, he is not here, he is risen. That's what we celebrate today. Get on Facebook, everybody posted it. Jump on Twitter, it's all over. This is what we celebrate. This is why the church gathers globally today because of that one phrase in verse 6. He is not here. He is risen. And listen to me, friends. This is the phrase that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. This one. He is not here. He is risen. Because Jesus stared death in the face and he beat it. Jesus took on death and he beat it. There's been a lot of religious leaders die for a lot of really good causes out there. But right now, if you go visit their tomb, I'm going to promise you something. You're going to find the remains of a corpse because they died for a worthless cause. Let's just say it. But Jesus, he didn't only die. You can go visit his tomb. Google the picture, Jesus' tomb. You're going to look at that picture and you know what you're not going to see in it? Him. Because <laughs> he's alive. He is risen. You're not going to find a corpse because the Bible says that right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning in complete victory. That's where he is right now. Why? Because he's not here. He is risen. Let's close here with the final part of verses 6 and 7. And really the application for today is this, if you like to write stuff down. Be sure this Easter, you're not building an understanding of who Jesus is on your own preconceived ideas or expectations. I'm so guilty of that what I think Jesus should do, what I think he will do, what I want him to do, rather than going to the scriptures and seeing who Jesus is and what he said. You see what those women did? They had an expectation of what they thought he would do, and they forgot what he said he would do. There's a difference in the Christian life. And Jesus is pointing them. They're saying, look, you have this expectation, but you've forgotten what I said. Now watch, verse 6 and 7, the last part. Remember how he spoke to you. This is the angel saying it again when he was still in Galilee. So the angel's reminding these women to focus on the truth of what he said and not the things you see around you. Your circumstance, your expectation, all of those things will deceive you. Focus on what he said. Cling to the promise of what he said. And what did he say? It is necessary Jesus had to die, we said that, that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and he told them. And on the third day, I'm coming back. You just wait. Friends, let me remind us today, Jesus' words can be trusted. You can trust what Jesus says. The Jesus of the Bible can be fully and completely trusted, and he's worthy of your trust. Make sure your understanding of Jesus this Easter is not built off a Hallmark greeting card, is not built off some random YouTube clip you found on the internet today. Make sure your understanding of Jesus is built off of what his word says about him. Because this is true. And if this is true, we can trust this because this tells us who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't remind you of this this morning. That 2,000 years ago, on that Good Friday, when Jesus died, he did that for you. And he did that for me.
And it's the same message every Easter, but it never loses its power and its significance. That on Saturday, the forces of darkness thought that they had won. They thought that they had completely defeated God's plan. But Easter Sunday reminds us every year that God can be trusted. God is a promise keeper, and we don't have to be a hopeless people. The Bible says in Romans that if you and I choose, we have to make a conscious decision to repent of our sins. That means that I'm I'm pursuing things that are against God, which we all do. And when I repent, repent means to turn. It means I choose to follow Jesus. You have to consciously choose to do that. It doesn't happen by accident. You're not a follower of Jesus because your grandma was. You're not a follower of Jesus because you visit a church occasionally. You're not a follower of Jesus just because you just woke up one day and you're like, I think I am now. No, you have to make a conscious decision to repent of sin and trust Jesus with your salvation. This is what's incredible. Because this is true, Jesus says when you do that, that he takes up residence inside of you. Which if that doesn't fascinate you, that's wild. That he comes to take up residence inside your life. And he does two things with that. He changes your life now, which is incredible. John 10.10, abundant life. It means you get to walk with Jesus the rest of your life. The good, bad, and the ugly. The shadow of death is... Psalm 23 talks about, but also the green pastures that Psalm 23 talks about. Jesus doesn't promise an easy life, but he promises to be with you through it all. That's one of the benefits of giving your life to Christ. It's pretty wild. But the second and more long-lasting benefit is the eternal life that he offers you and I. That when we repent of those sins and invite Jesus to take up residence in our lives, that not only is my life in the here and now changed, but it's changed forever. I have a place in heaven with God forever. And that's secure and unchanging. That's Easter. And can I plead with you this morning? We did this on the radio this morning too. If you are unsure or never have given your life to Jesus, April 4th, 2021 is a pretty good day to do that. In a moment, we're going to sing one more song as a song of celebration of the resurrection. And I invite you in that moment, if you're unsure or never have, all you have to do is cry out these words, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I need a Savior. And on the authority of God's word, the Bible says Jesus will take up residence in your heart in that moment. When that first syllable leaves your tongue, Jesus will save you. Friends, don't wait till this afternoon. Don't wait till next week. Maybe I'll do it this Christmas. Maybe I'll do it next Easter. If you're unsure, today is your day. And I want to invite you to do that very thing. Let me pray for us as our praise team comes. Lord, thank you so much for your graciousness this Easter. God, what a privilege it's been to gather with your church. God, I pray now for my friends in this room, Lord, for those that have already followed Jesus, who have given their lives to him, would today simply be a day of encouragement, a day of reminder, and God, a day of celebration. And for my friends here today, Lord, that maybe they're uncertain or they know they never have given their lives to you completely, that today could be a pivot point for them where they choose to make that decision that not only alters their life now, but alters their eternity forever. God, I pray as we sing this final song that it's a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven. Father, thank you so much for Easter. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you.